All right. Let's read God's word. Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we take a look again at the hard sayings of Jesus, we pray right now that our hearts would be open and soft and receptive to the work that you want to do this morning, Lord. God, I pray for each of us to um, really just reflect on who you are um, and what you've said and the truth and the weight and the gravity behind your words, Lord, and that, God, you would um, transform our hearts by your word this morning. And so I pray now for this group, Lord, that um, your truth would be um, just felt and near, Lord, that we would leave this place knowing that you are good, that you are true, that you are worthy, and that um, you love us so much. And so uh, we pray that your name would be lifted high now as we hear from, from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job, Karen. He thinks. Am I your favorite reader, too? <laughs> yeah. You're definitely top uh, five. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, as you have uh, noticed this morning, we are officially in it now. Um, John may have uh, self-admittedly served himself up a, a softball uh, last week. But today we have a bit of a split finger fastball from Jesus. But before we examine this hard saying, uh, let's consider and begin with a bit of context because it's super critical to understanding this particular hard saying, particular passage. Context is always key and critical in all our Bible readings and in fact, much of uh, our misguided understandings, our mis uh, misguided interpretations of Scripture come from not understanding context. So let's start with that. Because in the book of Matthew, in its entirety, Jesus presents himself to his disciples as a king from a heavenly kingdom. And in the first half of the book, Jesus has been busy backing up these claims. With his word and his deed, he continues to demonstrate that he is, in fact, this king of this kingdom. In chapter 10, however, there is an obvious change. And if you're familiar with it, you'll see and note that Jesus there shifts. He shifts to delegating responsibilities to his disciples. And then he actually grants them the power to carry out the ministry for which he has been carrying out. Uh, ministry, which up until that point had only been associated with him. And so it's really interesting, fascinating, actually, that in verses 7 and 8, you see them being sent out 
to proclaim this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. That's what they are being sent out into the world to do. And I don't know about you, but that's some pretty, pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Some exciting stuff until, until you realize what the cost of being on that mission is going to be. I, as you know, I really love Eugene Peterson's message rendering of Scripture because he gives such, I think, colorful language, uh, more modern words to help us wrap our minds around what's being said in this ancient text. And so I'm going to read uh, verses 34 through 37 from the Message Bible because I just love it. And it is intense. It's a hard saying because he says, Don't think... I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut. Make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. How many of you find that to be a tad bit uncomfortable? If we're likening it to music, it seems really like a discordant note from the Lord. It, it's, it's, it's like the record skips, so to speak. It, it feels almost, if we know Jesus and we've walked with him, it almost feels like it's not supposed to be there. But Jesus has carefully chosen these words. And if he's carefully chosen these words, I think we ought to be mindful around why. You see, he intends to use the word sword um, to startle us, to, to, to sober up the listener, if you will. He's, he intends for this statement to operate as a sort of uh, smelling salts, if you, if you will. And if you've ever taken a whiff of smelling salts, it's... Shocking. And he tends to shock. And so hopefully he has their and our attention. But what does he mean? What does Jesus mean when he says these things? Well, first, as I mentioned around the context of chapter 10, it's important to understand that the words of Christ and any word with, that you read in the Bible is always meant to be understood within the larger context of Scripture. And so we have to think about, what has Jesus already said? And then, you know, what did the apostles say further on and further into the New Testament? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he declares to them, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The angel in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, proclaims glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Zechariah, he foretells in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, that Jesus would, and I quote, give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way a peace. James, later, he says, a harvest is, is of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Paul, 
uh, tells the Ephesians that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then we can't forget that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work in our life is the presence of peace. Okay, so Jesus clearly is not anti-peace. He's not anti-peace, and the Bible's very clear around these things. Jesus himself is clear around these things, and still, however, we don't have his answer to his comments around sword. Calvin, uh, John that is, in case you're wondering, uh, perhaps provides an answer in the form of a question. He says, since the prophets always promise that under the reign of Christ there will be peace and tranquil times, what else would the disciples have, ho- had, have hoped for but that everything would at once be pacified wherever they should travel? Interesting. You see, we're closer to the answer to the question because that question itself touches on one of the most common misconceptions about uh, Christianity, which is that believing in Jesus will usher in a life without any problems. How many of you following Jesus have run into problems? Well, a life that Jesus touches does have peace within it, but a life that is, uh, but, but it doesn't produce a life that is perfectly at peace in all of its aspects. That's the reality of, of life. For example, John, last week, he discussed the subject of, of deconstruction. Um, either a partial or complete departure of Jesus as one kind of unravels their faith in God. Now, I don't say this lightly, but, we, but the, the Christians that I've talked to personally, the ones that I've known personally during their seasons of de- uh, deconstruction, they, they did so when their lives took an unfortunate turn. And listen, I say this with the utmost sympathy, and the utmost empathy, uh, I know a thing or two about when life takes a, a difficult turn. I know. I get it. But the, the reality is that life is rough. The peace of Jesus produces in our hearts, the, uh, the, the peace that Jesus uh, uh, produces in our hearts applies to all of life. However, it does not always mean that circumstances will always be peaceful. We have to hold the tension between these two, because if we don't, we might go mad. In fact, Jesus himself, he wants his followers to understand that walking into the world and being on mission is going to be uh, treacherous. In fact, in verse 16, he most famously says that being on mission means that they are being sent and that we are being sent as sheep in the midst of wolves. Does that sound safe? Does that sound peaceful? Does that sound like a life without conflict? It doesn't sound peaceful at all, actually. You see, the world will, and what he's saying, will nip at us and will attempt to even sink its teeth into us. Persecution is going to follow. That's what he promises them earlier in this chapter. He says, persecution will follow. He says, therefore, they must be, they must be, Wise as serpents and, and innocent as, as doves. Because it's gonna, it's gonna need, life is going to need some navigating. But, but what, I guess the case that, 
that I'm building out using just the words of Christ in chapter 10 alone is that duty to Jesus is going to be difficult. Duty to Jesus is going to be difficult. Following Christ comes at a cost, and really what he's saying is that we must, as best as we can, we must calculate what that could possibly mean for us. And one of those really radical ideas that Jesus throws at his disciples as he discusses this with them is this in verse 35. Jesus is saying this, saying the cost could even mean division of your closest and most complex of relationships. That is, your relationship with your family members. I'll read it again, because I don't think we can read it enough to understand that this is what Jesus is actually saying here on the pages of Scripture. Verse 35 again, he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is a really hard saying. And what he is saying is that for some, allegiance to Christ is going to swing devotion so deeply to God that it might even fracture some families. Might even fracture some families. John Piper, commenting on this particular passage, he says, Jesus enters earth, he enters the world, and he, lay, he, lay, he lays claim now as a king from another kingdom on every human heart. I am worthy of greater affection, greater love, greater allegiance than any member of your family. If all the family members respond to Jesus this way, you've got peace. But if they don't, there's anger because Jesus has become more important than family bonds and family affections than a sword cuts right through the relationship. We've all tasted this in some way. And I don't always agree with John Piper, but I tell you what, I agree wholeheartedly with that statement because it's an accurate interpretation of what Jesus is actually saying in this text. And here's the, here, here it is, guys. Jesus Jesus' expectation is to, and rightly so, to be seen as the supreme authority in all of our lives. Rightly so, he is to be seen as the supreme authority in all of our lives. In fact, later in Matthew, in the very end of the book, he'll, he'll tell them these words. And perhaps you're familiar. He'll tell them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says it himself with his own words. He says, all authority on heaven and earth. In other words, the known universe has been given to Jesus. He has all authority. And if we carry that thought, Jesus' statement out to its logical conclusion, it means that following him means his authority is literally over all things. He, he lays claim to all things. Jesus is saying that everything and in everything, he will have preeminence. He, mean, he means to be seen as superior in all things. And that's why he cuts to our closest and most complex of relationships, the one with our families. He says, I even, I, that belongs to me too. Even your families belong to me. Paul would later confirm this to be true 
in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, when he says, and this is, these are some of my favorite words around Jesus, but just 18 specifically to prove a point. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's, he claims authority over the whole church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminence means superior. Superiority over all things. All allegiance to him is what he is after. The saying is really harder than you could ever imagine. Jesus is not just claiming supremacy over only our families, but our politics, uh, our our businesses, our finances, and all of our churches. And also, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is, Christ lays claim on all territory. All of it. All territory. Everything. And this is important. This, this includes the things you find invaluable and the things you find to be of little value. I only say this because we assign worth to, with all sorts of a different criteria. And so Jesus says, the way you work it out in your mind and your heart, it's, it, it all belongs to me. Whatever your value system is, however it looks, it's all mine. However you align it, it's interesting. It's all mine. Jesus says, I bring a sword, and with it, he will cut into all that we love, and he will ask us to examine where our allegiances lie. That's why it's a hard saying. Because Jesus says, this is what I will do if you understand what I am saying. If you understand what, I'm, what I say, what, I, what I'm doing, this is, this is what I mean. I want you to examine all of it and place it before me and, can, and ask where your allegiances lie. All authority in heaven and earth belong to him. He lays claim to all of it. He wants all of it. All of it. And what's crazy about the text is that he just doesn't... Jesus has, a, he has an uncanny way of going deeper deeper than we could ever imagine. And so when we're just kind of reeling that he's saying, your family belongs to me, then he throws in, you know what? It's not just that. He's like, even yourself, your mind, your heart, your way belongs to me. Verse 38, he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the message renders it this way, because I'm giving you, you know, Peterson quotes too. He says, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If, you, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. The, the kingdom of heaven is so perplexing, because again, the way up is down. The way to win is to lose. And Jesus demonstrates all that by his life and his death on a cross. He shows us that his way is, is not our way. And what he intends is for us to examine his way and to ascribe to it, to, to learn and, 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 and attempt to apply it to our lives. Hard sayings for sure. Can Jesus be trusted in this? 
Can he? With what Jesus says to us this morning, what he says in this text, can he be trusted? You have to ask yourself that. Can he, can he be trusted in this? I've, you know, I'm going into these hard sayings with Jesus with a very particular perspective. And it's kind of like the parent-child um, uh, relationship. Parents, they say things to you as children, and they really don't make sense. In fact, at a certain point, when you, you, you know, get to be a young teenager, old teenager, your parents are just, in fact, they're just idiots, right? And you think, you think, you think they, don't know, they, don't a, they don't know a dang thing about what they're talking about, right? And, and, and we feel like all they want to do is tell us how we sh- what we should do, how we should live, so they can ruin our lives. And sometimes this is how we can view the words of Christ. Sometimes we can say, Jesus, why are you trying to ruin my fun? You, you, you stink, <laughs> you know? But it, it, we have to ask ourselves, can Jesus really be trusted? And I think that's why the cross, that's, I think that's why the life that he lived in the Gospels, that's why the cross itself and the, you know, the, the beauty that kind of spills out in the resurrection, I think that's why we have to find uh, compelling evidence for, for the fact that Jesus may be onto something. He may be right. We might be wrong. The way the world operates may be wrong, and he may be right. But we have to ask ourselves, can he be trusted? And here's some food for thought, because uh, it was so fun studying Matthew again, because w- I got to dig back into Dale Bruner um, uh, resources. And he says this. It's, it's good stuff. He says, he says, Jesus is not triumphalistic, because I really want you to think about this. Jesus is not triumphalistic, triumphalist about, I'll get that word out. out. Um, Jesus is not triumphalist about the future of Christian mission. He knows that his mission is a rugged minority movement, a tough, divisive affair, and he prefers to make this clear rather than to give false hopes. It's pretty nice of him to tell us the truth about things, right? The gate is wide in the way pleasant that leads to destruction, and many people, a majority, go this route. But the gate is narrow and the way is tough that leads to life, and very few people, a minority, will find this way. And in case you don't know, these are Jesus' words. The effect of this minority movement has a more aggressive, uh, um, as it more aggressively moves into the mass of majority culture, is bound to be friction. Jesus does not want his disciples to expect great triumphs, and then when persecution, hostility, and rejection are their experience, to feel betrayed. This is the way it goes, Jesus assures them. In fact, this is the way I plan it to go. How do you like really, that Jesus' plans are not our plans. Ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. How do you feel about a king who declares a kingdom, and he says the way to win is to lose, apparently, only apparently, right? But to to take a cross. And how do you feel about a king who says, I'm going to take a cross, and I'm asking you to take one as well? How do you feel about that king? But this is what it means when he says, I bring a sword. And the gospel, if we really get it, what we learn here, the gospel, if we really truly get it, we will see how pervasive it is. In other words, we'll see that it, it intends to 
seep into every nook and cranny of our life and get in the middle of it, to disrupt it, to interrupt what we find to be comfortable. The gospel intends to get into that. Jesus intends to have that and get into that. And I'm telling you, you may think, Lord, I do not like this hard saying. I do not like you putting my family uh, on the line like that. But, can, but do you trust him and do you believe that he has, he has your best interest in mind? Do you believe that he knows something that you don't? And I say that this morning. I say it with, with every ounce of empathy and, comp- and compassion that I could possibly muster to you. And I, I, I'm not messing around here because you know that I lost my son. You, you know that my, my baby boy's not here. You know that. And um, the only thing that has kept me from going insane is to know that he doesn't belong to me. He belongs to Jesus. That's the thing that's kept me from losing my mind in grief, is knowing that he doesn't belong to me. He never belonged to me. He was just on loan. And I told people that all the time. You know, they're on loan. You're on loan. Does Jesus know better than I do? I, I, with, with as much as I possibly can, I have to believe this. Or, or I'm hopeless. Is Jesus real? Is he alive? Is his kingdom good? Is, there, is it more than this? If that's true, then we have hope. And if not, what, what in the heck are we doing here? What in the world are we doing here? So, I have some questions. Because I didn't give you a lot of answers. I just told you what the, what the text said. That's all I did. Um, John probably busts my chops because I didn't really do much work. I just, uh, I just uh, did a lot of copy and pasting today. Um, no, but I talked about this text with my wife every morning. We, every morning we, I read a, um, a devotional, the songs of Jesus to her, and then we just sit quietly, or we discuss. But then, because I, you know, it's always about me, I want to talk to her about what I'm teaching. And we talked so much about this, this, these verses, and Jesus' hard saying, and how I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like this. It's tough. It's a tough saying, Lord. Um, and, and gosh, I don't know how many scenarios we went through of how, how the gospel could po- potentially divide families and create c- conflict and how the Lord with his sword could cut into those things. And, and I tell you what, um, after doing that throughout the week, I realized one thing is that it'd be a futile, futile attempt for me to create scenarios for you. I would miss so much, um, be, you know, completely um, underwhelming in the, in, that, in the help that that could provide. And so I decided against that completely. And just ask you some questions around this hard saying of Jesus that would be helpful, helpful to you to help you determine if you are seeing this and understanding this well and, and clearly. So, uh, there's, a, there's definitely 
self-criticism, a self-assessment that, that must be made, must be had, as we, as we consider all these hard sayings of Jesus, all the words of Scripture. It's funny that we think, we think some of the easy ones are, are, are not hard, too, right? I love that. Uh, anyway, so number one, self-criticism is super important here. Um, is it up there? Yeah. First thing you got to ask yourself is, am I a jerk? Um, actually, uh, maybe a better question to ask is, what kind of jerk am I? Okay? Uh, not just am I a jerk, what kind of jerk am I? That means we are all together in this. Uh, surprise, surprise, you might be a jerk. Um, but what kind of jerk uh, uh, am I? In terms of family matters, specifically, like the text touches on, and generally, how do I exist in this world? In other words, as I exist in this world, am I looking for war? Am I looking for war? Because sometimes some people read Jesus' words and say, he doesn't bring peace, he brings a sword. And yeah, I, I like conflict. I like war. And I have to tell you a little bit of a truth. I, I like conflict sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Karen got a little scary there, scared there. She, she's, she's seen me in action. <laughs> um, but here's the question to ask ourselves. When we are in conflict, when there's war, and you know, when we read some of these verses from Jesus, um, does, in my life, does Jesus bring the sword, or is it me? In this life, when there's conflict, when there's disagreement, when there's all those, when it gets a little hairy, is, is Jesus bringing the division, or is it me? Is Jesus bringing the sword, or is it me? That's super important, because that'll tell you whether or not you're, being, you're following the way of Jesus or you're fo following the way of the jerk, you know, the way of self. And I can tell you, I could rattle off all the, the numerous ways in which I mess things up with my warring spirit, yeah? Okay, number two. This is also helpful to ask yourself around this text is in what aspects of my life am I tempted to tell Jesus to take a back seat in? What threatens my allegiance to him? Because this is why the reason, the only reason this text is hard, is difficult, is because Jesus is asking us to surrender something to him that we don't want to surrender. So the question, the really good question we should ask ourselves is, what is so important to us? When am I actually tempted to tell Jesus to take a back seat so I can prioritize this thing, this person, whatever it is, this idea? What threatens allegiance to him? And of course, I can't give you a sermon without a Tim Keller quote. So here's a Tim Keller quote. He help, he's very helpful in processing our heart because he says anything that becomes more important and non-negotiable to us than God becomes an enslaving idol. In this paradigm, we can locate idols by looking at our most unyielding emotions. What makes us uncontrollably angry, anxious, or despondent? What racks us with guilt we can't shake? Idols control us since we feel we must have them or life is meaningless. So, the, so the, the, the really good question is this. What makes us uncon, uncontrollably angry, anxious, or despondent? What racks us with a guilt we can't shake? 
if you can have the answer to that, then you'll know what threatens allegiance to Jesus. You'll know, because that is an idol. And it's, you know, Keller's the one who says an idol is when we take a, a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. And number three, last one. Uh, to whom am I truly aligned? Really, at the end of the day, to whom am I truly aligned? Why is this important? Well, because if our allegiance is to Christ alone, then we will be the spouses, the children, the parents, the friends, the people that God has designed us to be. Uh, division and disappointments may come, but it will always be because of Christ and his gospel and not a result of our, of our idolatry. And so we must always have this hard saying of Jesus before us because he's telling us where to put things in their proper arrangement so that we don't get our hearts messed up and, 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 and potentially hurt others in the process. It's a hard saying. And I told you, it's a split-finger fastball. Um, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and just how challenging it is to us. It's, it is so incredible that you speak into just every part of our life. And, and as, we, as we consider our, our heart, we know it's, it, it's divided. We know that, uh, that we are prone to wander. And as the song says, Lord, we feel it. We feel it. But God, what, what always draws us near is as we, as we consider um, who you are. Your, your perfect faithfulness, your, your brave, courageous son who goes to the cross, and, and no matter how afraid he was, he, he, he stepped into that with so much courage. And so um, I pray that as we go to the table today, we would be nourished and, and mindful and encouraged by, by your faithfulness to us. Um, we, are, we're, we, are, we are faithless, but you, are, you remain faithful. And to that we'll always, we will always hold. In Jesus' name, amen.